Hello there, I'm Dr. Hacky Reitman, and you're listening to Exploring Different Brains. Hi, this is Dr. Hacky Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. This one's going to be a little bit different. We're going to show you about 15 minutes of some of our all-stars who will share with you how they got diagnosed. I met Round Kaufman for the first time out at the World Autism Conference of the USAAA out in Tucson, Arizona. And let me tell you, I learned a lot from him. One of the main things I learned from Ron, who, by the way, was told he should be institutionalized at the age of four, but his parents wouldn't do it. But one of the main things I learned from Ron Kaufman is focus on the positives and connect. Well, okay, so when I was a little boy, I was diagnosed with severe autism. Now, when I say severe, just so we're clear, I'm talking about I had no language, no eye contact, uh, a tested IQ of less than 30. Uh, I would spend hours and hours every day rocking back and forth and flapping hands in front of my face. Uh, one of the things I would also do for many hours a day is I would take uh, kitchen plates and I would spin them on their edge on the floor over and over again and flap my hands over them and I for hours and you couldn't distract me from this. And my parents were told, like I said, that I had a severe autism and that this was not, not just that it was severe in the moment. And this is important because uh, the, it's not just the diagnosis that's the issue, it's the prognosis. And the prognosis that my parents got were, was that this is a permanent lifelong condition. This was how I was going to be for the rest of my days on earth. And they, they did something really amazing in the face of that, which was they developed their own home-based, very much child-centered program where they were, and they called it the Sunrise Program, but they spelled it S-O-N because I was their son. And they, they worked with me for about three and a half years. And at the end of that period, as you can guess, uh, I went on to recover completely, you know, without any trace of my former condition, you know, grew up in a regular school with regular friends, graduated from the Ivy League's Brown University with a degree in biomedical ethics, which was never supposed to be in the cards for me. And now it's really amazing because now with our whole team of about 80 other people at the Autism Treatment Center of America in, in Massachusetts, I'm able to sort of work with all these people and then work with parents and families from over 100 different countries to help them help their children in the same way that my parents helped me. So it's, it's really an honor. And uh, it's also been kind of a crazy just experience because after my recovery, uh, my father wrote this book called Sunrise, The Miracle Continues. It became a bestseller. It was then made into an NBC television movie. So then people started coming to us for help. And in 1983, my parents founded uh, a nonprofit organization uh, the, now known as the Autism Treatment Center of America. So it's a nonprofit organization, uh, really nicely nestled in kind of the Berkshire Mountains in the Berkshires in Massachusetts. And that's where I was telling you about where people and parents and educators come from all over to learn the techniques of the Sunrise Program. Ron Sanderson is a very interesting fellow. This guy knows 10,000 verses of scripture. He's memorized about 500 or so books. And as you can tell, his brain works a little bit differently. My name's Ron Sanderson, and I have autism. And my development began normal. And in 18 months, I hit the 
autism time clock that goes tick, tick, and then I lost my ability to have eye contact. I also lost my ability to say words that I had previously learned. I said my first word in nine months, which was mommy, and then at 18 months, I lost the ability even to say mommy, and all I could say was mum, mum. And my mom knew that something was wrong at the 18-month mark and um, had testing done. And at age seven, I was diagnosed as having autism. And at age eight, the school specialist told my parents that I'd never read beyond a seventh grade level, I'd never excel in sports, and I'd never get married or have any meaningful relationships. And my mom was determined to prove the experts wrong. And she took, or the school wanted to diagnose me before I was diagnosed as autism, is emotionally impaired. And my mom said, it's not emotional, it's neurological. And then when the testing was done at Henry Ford Hospital in 1983, when I was eight years old, it came back that it was autism. I had so much fun when we were visited by Eric Zimmerman and his pal Sean, who's his traveling buddy. Eric takes all of these old computers that are donated to him and he puts them all back together and makes them work and gives them out to families and those of us with different brains. Yeah, so I was diagnosed uh, rather late. I was diagnosed in high school uh, with uh, having Asperger's. I was diagnosed, I had a very turbulent childhood and I'm actually on a speaking tour talking about my childhood and how, because um, autism wasn't really known as much so back uh, when I was a child, I'm 28 years old. So when I was uh, late, you know, when I was a little child, it wasn't really known. And so they diagnosed me with you know, having ADD and having all these other things, which yeah, I may have like obsessive compulsive disorder, I have a really bad anxiety disorder, but all the other things, it just kind of didn't, they didn't know I was on the spectrum. Uh, so it took actually until I seen a certain uh, doctor um, and his wife worked with a lot of kids on the spectrum. And he's like, I really want you to talk to my, my wife. He was the kind of the old fashioned psychiatrist where he would also do therapy. And so him and I would just sit around and talk for an hour and then he would give me my prescriptions and but he after all the things I would tell him and all my my obsessive interest in the things and my knowledge in the things and the and the way the, a lot of the social issues that I have he was like I, you really need to talk to my wife so I left my therapist for uh, I had for like seven years at the time and went and uh, spoke uh, to his wife and she was uh, very helpful and she was able to help me with a lot of things and said, yeah, you know, you're definitely on a spectrum. And later on, I was, um, I was also uh, had uh, officially diagnosed by the state of Maryland as, as having that. I had to go through uh, a special testing, you know, from a psychologist and charge an arm and a leg for it. <laughs> but uh, in order to be, get some of the services I did get, I had to go and do that. Ian Hale is an interesting guy. I don't know if as I'm speaking right now, if he's living in Barcelona or Australia or England, but he is a poet, he is an activist, and he does his best for all of us whose brains might be a little bit different, as his definitely is. Somewhere along the line, you can tell us where, you figured out that you're autistic. Is that correct? 
Well, uh, when I, I was I was a problem at primary school. I think you would call it elementary school. I wasn't really doing anything at school, and Britain didn't know anything about this in the 1960s, 1970s. I mean, the, the term Asperger's syndrome was first used in Britain only in 1996. It wasn't until I was working at university when one of my students came with a file from the student's home country saying that the particular student was Asperger's syndrome, that I started to research Asperger's and realized that, my goodness, I tick 52 out of every 50 of these boxes. Um, and then I went to see a, a, a world-renowned a world -renowned specialist at Cardiff University called uh, Professor William Fraser, and he diagnosed me fully, a diagnosis which has been confirmed by the University of Cambridge, and also by um, analyzing my genome, because all autism is inherited normally through the father's line. At that stage, I researched my family history back about 250 years and realized that, ooh, some of these were, were pretty, pretty weird people as well, reading their letters and their, and their correspondence and what people had said about them, looking at Iris. Michael Tolleson is an interesting guy. I had such a good time interviewing him. You know, he's a savant artist, and if you Google him, you can see him painting these masterpieces in between 5 and 35 minutes. He tutors and teaches those on the autism spectrum who may even be nonverbal, but who want to learn about art and who have some gifts. So what we do is, uh, I have a husband who's also autistic. We're both experts. Uh, what we started to do very early is we started to work with the autistic community. This even before we knew we were autistic. So we, we did it as a give back. We were both creating art. We are both doing very well. We're getting in galleries. And what we decided is we were going to reach out to the community that needed us. And the autistic community needed us. So we started to work with the kids. What we found is we had a communication with them like, like none other. And sometimes we understood them even more than their parents. Started looking at the children, we're going like, oh my gosh, it's like we are these children. And then we started uh, meeting some of the Asperger parents, and I was going, uh oh, I'm, I'm a carbon copy. As we went through that process, uh, we started to get online and we started to look at different online tests. Uh, through the test, uh, one of them was pretty comprehensive. It had like 200 questions. It, it, it evaluated uh, different aspects, and I scored very high. Jack scored very high. We both did. But uh, we self-diagnosed first. Then recently, uh, I started to get to the point where I, I needed, in my own mind, to have an official diagnosis. I just felt, for one thing, I was throwing myself out into the autistic community, and I wanted to be able to say with verification, yes, I'm autistic. So uh, we have a uh, we have gone through some some stress because of the town stuff, and we got involved with some psychiatrists and, and some health providers. And during that process, 
uh, I asked them to go ahead and evaluate. So at that point, they gave me an official diagnosis. Do you think your life would have been altered or easier or harder or whatever had you been diagnosed earlier? I think I could have probably avoided some of the pitfalls that that I have had. I think I have a good chunk of about 20 years of my life that uh, I self-medicated uh, through alcohol, drugs, because I didn't understand I couldn't fit in. I didn't understand I couldn't make connections. Uh, I think that that period of my life, even though I pretended to be happy and social and lots of things, in, in actuality I was miserable. And I tried to buy my friends. And I think had I gotten a diagnosis early, I could have understood more who I was. Stephen Shore is one of my heroes. I met Stephen out at uh, uh, Tucson, Arizona for the uh, World Autism Conference. He's a professor at Adelphi and he's lectured on just about every continent there is. And he's also a pretty funny guy. I'm very glad and proud that he is now on the board of Autism Speaks. And knowing Stephen, I think he's going to shake things up. After 18 months of typical development, I got hit with what I call the autism bomb, otherwise known as regressive autism. So I lost functional communication, had meltdowns, withdrew from the environment, and in short became a pretty significantly affected child on the autism spectrum. There was so little known about autism then that it took my parents a whole year to find a place for diagnosis. And when they did, now it's, I'm two and a half and it's 1964, the doctors said that they had never seen a child who was so sick and they recommended institutionalization. Fortunately, my parents, like we see so many parents today, they advocated on my behalf and they convinced the school to take me in about a year. And it was during that year that my parents implemented what we would today refer to as an intensive home-based early intervention program, emphasizing music, movement, sensory integration, narration, and imitation. And that's just today's terminology. In those days, the concept of early intervention didn't even exist. And with the work that they did, speech began to return at age four, when I was then admitted to the school that initially rejected me. I got reevaluated. Instead of being considered as having strong autistic tendencies and atypical development and being a psychotic child, I got upgraded to neurotic, so things were moving up in the world. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're neurotic, Steve. Join the club. Yeah, well, it's more fun. Elizabeth Wilkinson is one of my favorites. The dyslexic dyslexia consultant across the pond in England battling for those of us who might be considered underdogs. She's funny, and she's interesting, and she knows what she's talking about. For short, um, I'm dyslexic, autistic, and I found out I was autistic six years ago. Um, found out I was dyslexic. Well, I'm 43 now. I found out I was dyslexic when I was 28, I think it was, um, or 30. I can't remember. Anyway, longer than I've known about the autism. Both labels have, have meant quite a lot to 
me understanding myself and how I work, particularly the autism diagnosis. I've been a lot nicer to myself since finding out. However, the Dyslexic Dyslexia Consultant started in 2007, January, so we've just turned nine. And my passion is to educate everybody around me about dyslexia, raise awareness and make people aware. I did a course to find out about dyslexia because I thought my son was. And from there, everything made sense. I knew the answers to questions. I understood the topics. I was getting good grades for my assignments because I understood the subject. So I personally had done a lot of research. I'd done a lot of reading around dyslexia. And I came across a book by Dr. Tilly Mortimer, who is my idol, I have to say, when it comes to dyslexia. And it was her first book about dyslexia and learning styles that I learned about the three core deficits of dyslexia. So I learned about short-term memory difficulties, automaticity difficulties, and phonological difficulties. And they made sense. And I understood about myself. So for me, my advice to people is find out how something affects you and how that impacts on your everyday life. So that wraps it up for this episode of Exploring Different Brains. I'm Dr. Hacky Reitman, and I welcome you to check out our website, differentbrains.com, get in touch with us, and help us get the word out that society needs to understand, embrace neurodiversity for the benefit of all of us. For more information, visit us at differentbrains.com.